Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I'm telling you that spiritual gifts are not like going through the Golden Corral uh, buffet line where you pick out, well, I think I'll take a little of this and yeah, tongues, that come in handy. Hey, uh, I wouldn't mind healing a few people. Let me get that. Have you ever heard of something called Facebook Envy? It's a feeling that some people experience when they see someone else's posting about something they got to do, a trip they went on, or maybe a gift they received. We want to be happy for that person, but maybe down inside we're a little jealous. Is it possible that we can feel envious of someone else's spiritual gifts as well? God in His sovereignty knows the best way to distribute the gifts, and clearly that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is teaching, His decisions. Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. We're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this week in our series called Crossroads. Last week, Pastor Clay began to introduce us to 1 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul begins a discussion on spiritual gifts, a discussion that will actually go through chapters 12, 13, and 14. As we'll hear today, the Corinthians were struggling with feelings of inferiority, jealousy, and pride based on the distribution of spiritual gifts in the church. It's always coming back to unity in the body. It's always coming back to what is supposed to exist between us, that there is a connection and a closeness to us that takes priority over our personal wants, our personal whims, our personal desires, our personal anything else. And for the good of the body, we come together. Through the use of the human body as an analogy, the Apostle Paul is going to beautifully show us that regardless of which spiritual gifts we have or don't have, all of us are just as important to the body of Christ. Now here's Pastor Clay. Fifty years ago this week, July 16th, uh, 1969, the Saturn V rocket carrying Apollo 11 lifted off of launch pad 39A from the Kennedy Space Center. The rocket itself weighed something like uh, 3,189 tons. It was as tall as a 36-story building. Uh, My grandparents used to live in Cocoa, Florida, about uh, 15 miles. They lived about 15 miles from uh, the, the space center, and I used to go up there from time to time. I was up there a couple of times uh, during a couple of the Apollo launches. And when one of those rockets would, would lift off, um, even from 15 miles away, every window, dish, glass in that house would shake, rattle, and roll. It was an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. All week I've been watching some specials about the 50th anniversary of the landing on the moon which is what Apollo 11 was, and and it's been fascinating. Did you know that when uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin guided the lunar module down to to set it down on the moon's surface, do you know that they had exactly 30 seconds worth of fuel left when they they touched down on the ground? It's like one of the engineers was saying, he said, it's not like, you know, your car gas gauge when it gets to empty and think, well, I can squeeze another couple more miles on it. No, he says, when, when it's out, it's out. It had 30 seconds left. Uh, Neil Armstrong guided it in manually because the computer was overloaded with having to, to try and figure out so much data at one time. And so he had to guide it in because the computer was about to set him down on the edge of a giant crater where they would have... When they got ready to leave the moon, when they got ready to go back and to, to lift off, 
the, the rocket, they were going to fire a rocket. They, they had no control over this rocket, by the way. It, wasn't, they, it was just a rocket that was going to shoot them as fast as it could up, back up into the orbit where the lunar module could, could then uh, redock with the, uh, with the command module. When they, when they got ready to fire off the rocket, they had no idea whether it, would, whether it would fire, whether it would blow up. They had no idea what it would do because it had, it had never been tested in a real-world experience because this was the first real-world experience they'd ever done with it. It had been tested on Earth, but that's a little different than after traveling something like, I don't know, 389,900 miles through the sub-freezing temperatures of space, pulling four Gs on liftoff. They didn't even know if it would work. This 36-story rocket that lifted off. Sorry, the chair is like a, a ghost just decided he didn't want to hear this and he got up and left. I don't know. The 36-story rocket, when you consider all the components, you know, with the, the switches and the gauges and the pumps and the fuel lines and, and a million other, actually, more precisely, the three million components, three million individual separate components on the Saturn V uh, rocket that launched Apollo 11. When you consider all of the, all of the engineers, the designers, the scientists, the, uh, the, the, the contractors that, that build the components, the installers, the, uh, the, the space tracking people, the astronauts, when you consider all of it, it's truly an astounding accomplishment. It's still to this day considered perhaps the greatest or one of the greatest achievements in the history of mankind to put a man on the moon. You want to know something that's even more spectacular than that? When the body of Christ, when a local body of believers, with all the different backgrounds and issues and whatever else that we have, and all the various gifting that we have, can come together and accomplish a purpose, something like what we just saw in the video, can come together to impact the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that, that may say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem that spectacular. It, it is more spectacular, and here's why. Because sending a person to the moon is not nearly as important as being a part of sending a person to heaven. It's only been 50 years, but I would scarcely venture to say that virtually no one in here under 20 year, years old even remembered or knew the names of the two astronauts that first landed on the moon, and hardly anybody remembers the third guy that didn't get, that had to stay up in the command module, Michael Collins, circling around the earth that didn't get to land. Nobody remembers that guy. It's only been 50 years, but I tell you this, a million years from now, people in heaven will still remember who had a part in sending them to heaven. Oh, I know it's Jesus' work. I know he's the one that made it possible. But he has called the local body, the church, the individual members who make up that body to come together and accomplish the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this discussion on spiritual gifts in our series called Crossroads, that's why this is so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can open your Bibles there. Uh, we're going to try and wind the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 up today. I don't know if we'll make it or not, but we're going to try our best uh, to do it, because I want to leave time for the baptism uh, at, toward the end of the service. First Corinthians chapter 12, uh, if, you've, if you've been with us, you know about this series, you know we're making our way through Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, I want to read it to you again. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not, for this reason, any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not, for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you, a still more excellent way. Last week, we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I started with this overarching idea. If you were here, you may remember this. This isn't about your spiritual gift, but about his spiritual body. And I said last week, I'll say it again, that may sound funny given the fact that we're talking an awful lot about spiritual gifts in here. Clearly, in chapter 12, if, you, if you're just hearing that for the very first time in your life, you could, you could figure out pretty quickly that he's talking about these spiritual gifts, all these different healings and, and uh, tongues and uh, administrations and helps and teaching and all this kind of stuff that he's clearly talking about. But that's the reason why I've, two weeks in a row I've read the enti- all 31 verses to you because I want you to get a hold of this idea that, yes, in this context, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, 
but it's not really about the spiritual gifts. It's really about the spiritual body of Christ. And the spiritual body of Christ is who? It's us. It's you and I. It's, it's members uh, uh, that make up the body of Christ, who, people who have committed their life to Jesus Christ and are desiring to follow him. We make up this body of Christ. So I started with that idea last week to make sure that, that we understand this. And I gave you a couple of ideas, and, and you can go back and listen to that message, watch it online if you want. It's available directly from our website or uh, uh, iTunes or anywhere else. These gifts are spiritual and should not be confused with natural gifts. Natural gifts may be God-given, and we say that all the time. Man, that person has a God-given gift for this or that. That's not the same as these spiritual gifts that are listed here and in, and in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4. I gave you some of those places that other spiritual gifts are given. Second thing I also said was that these gifts may or may not be permanent gifts. And I said last week, this may sound strange to some of you, but I walked through trying to show you some biblical examples of, of, uh, of cases where uh, the gift, a person had the gift, specifically Apostle Paul had a gift, and then another time he apparently did not have a gift, and so the the bottom line is God is determining these when and how spiritual gifts are uh, to be used uh, to the to the well we'll we'll get to all that. So anyway, th- those couple of ideas off that main heading, and then we started into breaking down the spiritual gifts that Paul lists there. Again, if you want more details on these, you can go back and listen to that message. But we went through the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, affecting of miracles, and prophecies. Those were the six that we went through last week, the first six that Paul lists there. And now we're going to pick it up, uh, continuing on in chapter 12. The next thing he lists is distinguishing of spirits. The distinguishing of spirits. What, what, what is that all about? Well, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1... The Apostle John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The truth is, uh, the world, there has always been false prophets in the world. There have always been people who, who have claimed to have a word or to speak some truth that they would say would come uh, from God or from a God. And uh, John's clear warning there is that you have, to, you have to test the spirits. Now clearly, any of us and all of us should, should earnestly work to, uh, to be spiritually mature enough to discern what we're hearing inside the church, what we're hearing outside the church. Is this truth? Is this not truth? We all, as we grow in Christ uh, and have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we can all uh, be discerning about things like that, right? And we should be. But, apparently, there are times when a supernatural ability to uh, discern a, a spirit, uh, someone that's speaking some... You know, there are times when a supernatural ability is required to discern whether what is being said is truth or is not truth. Now, we could say that that is always true, but it was particularly true in the ancient Greek world of which Corinth was a part. And I want you to, I want you to hear what I have to say here because this is important for our, not only our understanding of spiritual, the spiritual gift of discerning spirits, but also for uh, our understanding of what was happening in Corinth. And we'll see it more when we get to chapter 14. And I told you last week, 12, 13, and 14 are intricately connected. You, to properly understand it, you've got to understand them in that context. But when we get to chapter 14, we'll see uh, that, that there was a problem in Corinth with tongues, with the gift of tongues and what it was and what it wasn't and all that kind of thing. What I'm about to share with you is, 
is also going to help shed some light on that when we get to chapter 14. In the ancient world, uh, there, there were these uh, people, these individuals, these uh, known as the oracles. The oracles were, uh, well, let me just give you a definition of them. An oracle, according to Wikipedia, an oracle is a person or agency considered to provide wise and insightful counsel or prophetic predictions or precognition of the future inspired by the gods. As such, it is a form of divination. That is what uh, a, an oracle was. Now, we've already talked about the fact that in Corinth, um, religions and gods and beliefs and temples were a dime a dozen. That, that, that's just no question about that. Many of these temples to all these various gods may have employed, may have had oracles. We know for certain that the temple of Apollo in Corinth had oracles. These oracles, uh, maybe not exclusively, but almost always were young women who in a drug-induced state, oftentimes uh, associated or containing also uh, convulsive types of movements. These oracles in a drug-induced state, uh, the original ones, by the way, I don't know if you care about this, the original ones uh, called the oracles of Delphi, uh, they, they went in and they, they would smell the, the, the smoke that came up out of the, the temple where they met. It turned out that it was volcanic smoke and it was producing this certain kind of gas where they found out later and they're all getting high off it. So wherever the oracles went, later the, the, the practice of oracles spread around, uh, they, they would do a drug-induced type of, of situation where they would go into this, this state. And they would, according to Plato, they would get, these uh, oracles would then give uh, ecstatic, non-understandable utterings that the priest would then interpret for you. I'm sure it came at a price, but the priest would then interpret for you what the oracle had just said about your future. And there are some instances apparently where the, the oracle itself would actually give the, uh, the interpretation or the explanation of, of it was, of what it was. Now, listen. Okay. It's 2019. I know, I know that sounds as weird to us as mayonnaise on a pizza. But you, you, you have to understand, folks, this was the normal world in, ancient, in the ancient Greek world. This was, this was a common thing. This was, this was an everyday thing. You planning on going on a trip? Go see the oracle. See how the trip's going to go. Planning on going to war? Better talk to an oracle, see if you're going to win or not. Thinking about starting a business? Why wouldn't you talk to the oracle? So she can tell you whether you're going to be successful or not. And so these, these oracles were a, a, a general practice. And so it should not be surprising to us, are you with me? It should not be surprising to us that Paul says that God gives a, a spiritual gift of discerning of spirits, an ability to supernaturally sometimes is needed to figure out whether what is being said is truth or is not truth. Okay? All right? So that, does that make, that make sense? Okay, so, uh, and again, when we get to chapter 14, we're going to find some remarkable similarities between the practice of the oracles and, and some of the practices that the people were doing in Corinth. And uh, anyway, we'll get there. Lord willing, we'll get there. All right, the next one that he gives is kinds of tongues. 
kinds of tongues. Now, this is the one that we're going to spend the most time with in chapter 12, 13, and 14 because it is the one that is most talked about and it is the one that was causing the most problems in Corinth. Not the, not the gift itself, but the misrepresentation of the gift and the problems that it was causing in Corinth. So it's going to be discussed a lot, really, uh, in, in this chapter and, and, and moving forward. It's, it's kinds of tongues. The Greek word for tongues is glossa. Glossa. According to uh, Patterson, it is the ability to speak various known languages which had not been studied by the one possessing the gift. The ability to speak various known languages which had not been studied by the one possessing the gift. In other words, to have the gift of tongues, the gift of glossa, meant that you could speak a language that was not your natural given language and that you had not studied and learned. Rosetta Stone hadn't come along yet. Uh, any of them other ones you can do, it could, didn't have any of that stuff. And you didn't naturally know it, but you suddenly had a supernatural ability to speak that, that language. Okay? Understand? All right, now... Uh, the, the question, or one of the questions that we ought to be asking is, is what is the purpose? What would be the purpose of this gift of uh, various tongues? As best I could tell, there, there would be two primary reasons for this spiritual gift being given. And the first one would be this, to get the message of Jesus out as fast as possible to as many people as possible before the completion of God's recorded word. Here's the setting. It first shows up, in uh, this, this gifts of tongues first shows up in Acts chapter 2, and here's the setting. The, the, the Jews, tens of thousands of Jews from, from all over the world had, had come to Jerusalem. That was part of their tradition. If at all possible, a Jew was to go back to Jerusalem for Passover. What happened on Passover? Jesus was crucified, right? Rose again three days later, went to heaven, came back, hung out with the disciples for a while, and then now he's gone back to heaven. But that happened, that happened at Passover. Tens of thousands of Jews from all over the world come together to, to uh, celebrate Passover together in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would, would swell ten times its population during Passover. Because the people that traveled, listen, they were all Jews. They, they were of Jewish lineage, they were of Jewish heritage, but they, many of them were born in various countries all over the world, and so they spoke various languages all over the world. You understand? They, they spoke languages from, from, all, from all over the world. And they would come to Jerusalem for Passover, and because many of them had traveled such great distances, are you with me? Because many of them had traveled such great distances, oftentimes they would stay over, and not head back to Jerusalem initially, they would stay over to celebrate what was known as the Feast of Weeks. It took place uh, seven weeks uh, after Passover. They would stay over for the Feast of Weeks, or it was also sometimes Jews refer to it as the Feast of 50 Days, because it took place 50 days after Passover. Are you with me? This is, this is, this is, hopefully this is going to come together for you here in a minute. So they're hanging out in Jerusalem. They're from all over the world. They speak all different languages. They're hanging out in Jerusalem. They stay for Feast of Weeks, Feast of 50 Days. Well, guess what the, guess what the Greek word for, for 50th is? Pentecoste. Hence, we get the name Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, all of these Jews are gathered there from all these different languages, and they, they come from countries where millions of other people live who have never heard of Jesus, don't know anything about the cross, haven't heard anything about the resurrection, they don't know anything about any of this stuff. Now let's, let's think, how could 
the message of Jesus get out to, to all of these various countries uh, and to all these millions of people who are going to spend eternity somewhere? How can this message, how could this message possibly get out uh, as quickly as, as, it, as it possibly could? God supernaturally gave certain people the ability to speak a language that they did not know. Let's, let's read a little bit about it in Acts chapter 2. Let's look at it. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem. Living in Jerusalem just means they're staying there. I mean, they're, they're there 50 days, so I'm sure if they were staying with an in-law, it really felt like they were living there. But now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. A proselyte was somebody who was not born a Jew, but they converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What the world is going What the world? What the world is going on? And Peter stands up, if you've read it before, Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, each of them apparently hearing in their own language, were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls praise god shout hallelujah. hallelujah right it's awesome but the story doesn't end with those three thousand souls does it it's not just about those three thousand souls as spectacular as that was to see three thousand people coming to christ at one time what an amazing thing but it's not merely about those three thousand souls because guess what those three thousand souls instantly became a missionary force three thousand strong going out to all the various parts of the world where they had come from each of them now with the knowledge of jesus christ and the spirit of god living in them going out to share the message of christ with the world around them the message of christ instantly went to to virtually all of the known world in a sense almost overnight it was an amazing Thing. Hey, by the way, 3,000 souls one day, just to kind of put that in context, the International Mission Board uh, is the largest mission-sending agency in the world, a mission agency that you help support, by the way, with your tithes and offerings. The IMB, as of last week, I looked it up, the IMB has 3,668 missionaries serving in various countries all over the world. Think about it. In 2,000 years, we've just managed to do a little bit better than what God did in one day. In one day. With these various kinds of tongues. Man, the message of the gospel went out. By the way, uh, the second reason that, that I would say, or a lot of people would say, would be the reason that these gifts of tongues would be given, would be because it would have given immediate credibility to the gospel message and the messenger. As we saw that in Acts 2. What the world? Something's going on. Something, something's, something's happening here. So it would have given that, them that ability. So it's, it's kinds of tongues. We're going to come back. It's going to be talked about a lot when we get to chapter uh, 14 particularly. But, but it was the ability to speak other languages that you did not necessarily, had not, did not know and didn't come by naturally. Okay? And then, obviously connected to it or associated with that would be the last one he lists in that first list there, the interpretation of tongues. The interpretation of tongues 
obviously, would be the ability to translate uh, to the majority of a people in attendance, the majority language in attendance, the ability to translate what was being said in those unknown languages to them. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, there's Jews from all over the world, right? There's Jews from all over the world, but because it was in Jerusalem, I think it's safe to assume that the largest majority of Jews would have been from Israel, from Jerusalem, and would have spoke Hebrew and or Aramaic, which is kind of a a more common uh, type of of Hebrew, Hebrew, if you will. And so it would have been the ability to translate what was being said in those other languages so that they could understand what was being said as well. Okay? That is, that is the initial list that Paul gives. Now, real quickly, let me get into just, uh, I, won't, I won't get all this done, but let me get into uh, what this means for us, and, and then we'll wind it up here somewhere. Take, looking at this, this first list, having read 1 Corinthians 12 now for two weeks in a row, and looking at these things, understanding, walking through each one of the spiritual gifts, here's, here's the first thing this means for us. That means this is his decision. Who, what, when, where. Who, what, when, where. That's what this means. I'm sorry. Tyler and I have an inside joke about this. So I, okay, I'll go ahead and ask it, and then we'll quit. How many people would say who, what, when, where? Or how many people would say who, what, where, when? Huh? Former, when, where, the way it is? Okay, all right. I'm the only weird one. So, Who, what, when, where? His decision. His decision. Right? You need to understand this. God is the one that determines these things. He's the one that decides it. Look at it. You can see it. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. You understand what I'm saying to you? That you that, and and I, this, I understand this is, this is taught in some churches that, that you, can, you can go after the gifts that you want or you can pick the gifts that you want. I'm telling you that spiritual gifts are not like going through the Golden Corral uh, buffet line where you pick out, well, I think I'll take a little of this. and Yeah, tongues, that can come in handy. Hey, uh, I wouldn't mind healing a few people. Let me get that. It, it just doesn't work that way. God in His sovereignty knows the best way to distribute the gifts. And clearly, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is teaching. His decision. Second, the body. The body's good. Unity, stability, maturity, ministry. That's what this is about. Coming back to that idea, that's not about your spiritual gift. It's about the spiritual body of Christ. Let me give you just a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, given the, the, the gift of the, the Spirit's gifts that He gives that would be given to us of the Spirit, for what? Say it. For the common good. Who's the common? It's, it's me and you. We're the common, y'all. For the common good. Uh, verse 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many Members, you see the unity that's coming up here, that's showing up in here? Uh, Again, verse 20. Uh, But now there are many members, but one body. Verses uh, 25, I think, and 26. Yes, so there are many, so there may be 
so there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You, you see what, what this is? You see, I, I, I've said this so much that, I, that, that I, I even sound like a broken record to myself. But it's always coming back to unity in the body. It's always coming back to what is supposed to exist between us. That there is a connection and a closeness to us that, that takes priority over our personal wants, our personal whims, our personal desires, our personal anything else. And for the good of the body, we come together. Did I mention we're having an ice cream social today? I, I know it's just an ice cream social, but I, I'm telling you that, this is, that there's something about this body thing. We live in a world that is hurling in the direction of, of disunity disunity based on political affiliation, disunity based on whether you get your news from Fox or CNN, disunity based on whether you think capitalism is the best way to go or socialism is the best way to go, disunity based on, on age, disunity based on skin color, disunity based on so many things, it seems like. And, and, and my first thought, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, man, what a mess. And then I thought, no. What a message. What an opportunity for the church. All different backgrounds, all different skin colors, all different age groups, all different economic, social, all different gifting, being able to come together and accomplish something that will make an eternal difference in the lives of people around us. What an amazing impact we can have. Man, Paul is drilling this home. Yes, partly because it clearly was the biggest problem in Corinth, the lack of unity but also because it's that important. Unity should, should create maturity within us. It, it, it should create ministry opportunities to, to meet each other's needs. So you can see where this is going. I need to stop. I need to quit uh, right here. We'll pick it up. But he's driving this, this, this same idea home that yes, there's all these various members. Yes, there's all these various gifts, but we're one body. We're working towards one goal and that is the glory of God reflected in our relationships to each other and reflected in the way we live our lives in honor of Jesus Christ that's what this is about there oftentimes there's so much phony I'm just just being honest with you there's so much phoniness in churches so much uh, just uh, you've probably heard this term for almost like a social club a group of people that come together for a meeting and then everybody scatters and goes out their separate ways that that isn't even remotely related to what you find described in the New Testament you are my brothers and my sisters in Christ if you know Christ as your Savior and there should be nothing that I would not be willing to do for you and nothing you should not be willing to do for me and there should not be anything going on in my life that I would not be able to share with you if I needed to or you with me and vice versa and across the aisles and back and forth and young and old and male and female and white and black and pink polka dotted and whatever all it would be one body thanks pastor for that needed reminder that all of us make up the body of Christ and all of us have an important role to play The Corinthian church was placing an overemphasis on their individual gifts. And as we read and heard in today's message, the focus shouldn't be our gift, but his body, the church. 
Each of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior has a role to play in the church. And as Pastor Clay put it in today's message, you and I don't really need to worry about figuring out which spiritual gifts we have. We just need to surrender completely to Him. If we do that, the Spirit of God will use us and His gifts as He knows His best. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.